I'm Susan McEntee Brady. Welcome to the Better Understanding Podcast. Please join me in exploring what it means to lead inclusively. I'm excited and honored to welcome today's guest, Liberty Mutual's Global Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Officer, Don Frazier Bonnert. Don joined Liberty Mutual Insurance in 2013 to shape the new Office of Diversity and Inclusion. In this role, Don is responsible for leading the design, development, and implementation of Liberty Mutual's diversity and inclusion strategy and programs. Prior to joining Liberty Mutual, Don served as Chief Administrative Officer and Partner at Global Novations, Vice President Global Diversity and Inclusion at the Gillette Company, and in various human resources leadership positions at Lotus IBM, Fidelity Investments, and Millennium Pharmaceuticals. Don attended Mount Holyoke College and graduated from Boston University with a Bachelor of Science degree. She is on Black Enterprises' 2019 Most Powerful Women in Corporate Diversity list and is a recipient of the 2019 Profiles in Diversity Journal Diversity Leader Award. In 2021, just this year, she was named to the Elite 100 Black Women Leaders by Diversity Women Media, was named one of Intelligent Insurer's Top 25 DNI Champions, and is one of the National Diversity Council's Top 100 Diversity Officers in the US. When I joined Simmons in 2019, Liberty Mutual, under Don's leadership, was an active partner with our Simmons Leadership Conferences, both here in Boston and internationally. Don was kind enough to join our Institute for Inclusive Leadership Strategic Advisory Board, and I am thrilled to now have her as a guest on the Better Understanding podcast. Welcome, Don, and thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Oh, thank you, Susan. I'm really excited to be here with you as well. So I said a lot about you <laughs> that people can read on your public bio. Would you share with our listeners something about yourself that they might not be able to read about? Absolutely. So obviously you can't see me. So when you think about the dimensions of diversity, I represent many different dimensions. I am a woman of a certain age, let's say after 50, and a certain height of 5'4", if I'm standing on my tiptoes. And I'm an Air Force brat. I'm an Air Force brat who was born in Wiesbaden, Germany, and spent the first almost 16 years of my life moving every two years. I'm also a Black woman who is very proud of my heritage and very proud of the women who came before me. It really has been part of what's brought me into this work. Okay, so those of us who are on the outside of military lives, are con I find, are constantly fascinated because there seems to be this other world. <laughs> what does it actually mean to be a, an Air Force brat? You know, it's a good question. You know, at the time when you're going through it, you don't really question it because it's just what you have been brought up to do, which is, to move every two years. And so you move from often a base to another base, or sometimes you live in a neighborhood, but you know that you're only going to be in that space for a period of time. Mm -hmm. So you get really good at making friends or not, learning the unwritten rules or what's cool to wear with the cool kids or what makes you stand out. You learn that really fast. So there's adaptation implications there's also attachment and detachment implications. I can imagine it makes you pretty agile though. Would you name something about you today that you attribute to that kind of life growing up? I would say that I'm really close with my brother and sister. 
because we depended on each other. Yeah. There were times when you really didn't have a chance to make new friends. So my friends really were my siblings and that continues to this day. I'm very close with them. But I also realized that I learned very much to be alone and that that was okay because it was a lot of my life at times where it was my books and my family. Yeah, so an inner strength. So let's fast forward. You have somewhat of a storied career, not just in the DNI space, but also human resources. Ultimately, how did you come to this work and what fuels you about it? Yeah, so it really is connected to my life experience. As I mentioned, you know, growing up in this environment where you move every two years, where you quickly have to assess the environment you're in, you develop skills. You know, I didn't know it at the time. But those skills are really about wanting to belong, wanting to connect, wanting to be part of something, wanting to have a friend, wanting to be included. And when you think about the DEI work, it really is all about all of those things. And I developed a way of learning how to be effective quickly. But I also developed, I think, a heart for not wanting to see people be left out because I knew what that felt like. It was really awful not to be asked to be on the, the kickball team or whatever because you were the new kid or the, the weird kid, whatever that meant. I think that carried me. It carries me today to want to make sure that everybody is included. Why do you think that there's such a need for inclusion at work? What's driving all of this focus? Because people you, like you and I wake up and we're cognizant of it because we have a, somewhat of a lived experience of it and we want to create difference for others. Mm -hmm. But that's not true for everyone. you know. No, it's not. One thing I would say is it's so hard to piece these things apart. So we need, we have diversity, we need equity, we need inclusion. We need all three. They, they come together and they create what is the most effective way of operating, I think, as humans. I think there's so much focus on inclusion because there's been so much focus on diversity and people were feeling like, well, wait a minute, diversity feels very narrow and inclusion is really about all of us and how we all effectively work together. I think for some people, it's easier to focus on inclusion than it is on diversity when in fact we need both. We need all three. For our listeners some of whom still don't understand, like, where did the E come in, right? It used to be DNI, and now everything is about equity. And now I'm also hearing DEIB for belonging. Can you just in your own words, identify, define for our listening audience, um, what you think the difference is and what you would want them to know about the difference between diversity, equity, and inclusion? Sure, absolutely. And we are, we are part of that group that's just added E, if you will, to our office. And so a lot of the conversation has been helping people understand, well, why? And what does that mean? And how does that strengthen diversity? So when we talk about diversity at Liberty Mutual, we talk about diversity being about all of us. It isn't just some, it's everyone. We talk about it being all the dimensions that make us who we are. And so we are our gender, our race, our sexual orientation, our age, all the different ways that you think about diversity. And we remind people that we're multi-dimensional. I'm not just one of those things. All of those things make me dawn. When we talk about inclusion, we're talking about how do we leverage all of the richness that diversity can bring in this particular case in an organization. It does require skill. It's not as if you just bring people together in a room and you say, voila, let there be connection and innovation. It really requires learning how to be effective working across all those differences. And that's really the inclusion piece. 
because that's where when you manage it well, when you create the, those opportunities for people really to learn how to work with each other, you have that richness. Equity, which we've just, as I mentioned, introduced to our organization as a focus area is really about fairness and access. And of course, any organization is gonna say, of course we have fairness, we want it, it's part of our values. I know we say that at Liberty, but often what you find is when you start to look at systems, when I mean you start to look at the practices that you have in an organization around maybe hiring or promotion or opportunity, you start to see that unintentionally you've created some access issues, that they're barriers. Maybe people don't have the same networks or opportunities. So equity is about really looking to ensure that you don't have those things in place so that everyone truly has an opportunity to grow. I don't know if it was actually from you or some of your colleagues back when you were at Global Innovations that I first saw this, but do you remember that cartoon with three people looking over the fence, differentiating yes. equity yes. and inclusion? I don't Absolutely. know how old that is. I love that. It's a, just for our listeners, it's an image of the difference between fairness, you know, everybody gets a stool. Equity is, you know, we just talked about our height. You're 5'4". To see over a six-foot tall fence, you're going to need a bigger stool. We're not advantaging one of us over the other. We're both able to look over the fence if we get the right size stool. Is that the right framing for equity? Is that what you're achieving? So we actually have to look more deeply at individual needs? We do. And I think that's why it's hard. Yeah. Because on one hand, there are people thinking, oh, good, we're going to be fair. But I think sometimes people think that means it's going to be equal. Yeah. And equal isn't always the same when you're thinking about just the example that you gave, that someone might need more, another box or two in order to have the same access, the same opportunities. So interesting because I think there is just confusion, especially I see this a lot in gender parity work where men are saying, wait, wh why is she getting the opportunity? I'm as qualified. It's almost like I'm being penalized for being a man. And sometimes we have to talk about, wait, 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 you might perceive that she's being advantaged, but actually what we're doing is we're creating some, some equity here, right? Absolutely. Making a fair, if you will, kind of playing field, because often what we see, and that's why you have to do some harder work, is that there may be things that don't create that fairness, that there, there are things that actually gave someone uh, benefits to actually being better positioned. And we want to be able to have everybody have opportunities you know, to grow and to thrive. So it is harder work and requires really thinking about this a little bit differently than perhaps people have in the past. Don, I know you're, you're great at telling stories and I think stories bring things to life and people remember ideas and concepts through stories. Can you share a story about when you've either felt you fostered inclusion or better understanding or when others did this for you? Oh my goodness, I probably have so many stories. As I think about my own you know, life experience, I am fortunate to have an amazing niece. She is 25 and she has Down syndrome. And she has been for all of us and my family, an opportunity for us to learn about access and fairness in a different way than we had experienced, maybe thinking about it from a perspective of race. And what I've been able to do and learn as I've watched her grow is to really think about access and fairness in a very different way that has really made me realize that everybody wants an opportunity to have joy and to, to feel like they have purpose. 
And so what we've been able to do for her to be able to grow and have a job and feel purposeful is very different than what my other niece, her sister, has had an opportunity to do. But it's not less than, it's just is important for her to feel like she has a way to be able to live her purpose in the world. And that kind of focus to make sure that she too feels joy and purpose is just as important as again, her, her sister or her other cousin. So that's really helped me think about this in a very different way than I think I would have otherwise. I love thinking about her in the world. It, it reminds me that we all wake up wanting to feel like we have agency in the world, whatever that is, right? And I think the ache in work life right now is, you know, we want to belong, um, we want to be seen for our unique talents, and we also want to feel like we have something of our own that brings us meaning, the great call to meaning. Part of my bias around creating meaning is through understanding. And I'm wondering if you could give us your take on what the role of understanding is and, and how you think we cultivate it. Oh, great question. I think understanding is so key to this work because for me, what it's about is really building awareness, um, really leaning into to trying to get a better sense of an, another person's experience. I think what is also so key is that to me, it connects to empathy. So when you're understanding, you are, you're empathetic. And then that really brings the whole emotional piece to this work. This is not uh, just an intellectual discussion or exercise. It really does, you know, often, often hear people talk about, you know, both head, heart, and hands, you know, that we think about this in this work, we take action. It really does need to bring the heart into it, the emotion into it. So understanding, I think, is really, really important. And how, so how do we cultivate it? I think we start with really looking at ourselves and really understanding our own development, our own life experience, our own upbringing in terms of, you know, whatever we were either taught or caught growing up or, or learning in the media and television or from our, our, our school or educators and really starting to examine that, really starting to look at, is that true? Is that really true for me? Is it helping me? But again, really thinking about it with this, again, with this empathetic leaning, I think that that helps us move in a place that helps us better start to look at the really difficult work that most of us, if we get into this, have to deal with when we look at diversity, equity, and inclusion. You just reminded me of a saying that my mentor has said to me frequently. He reminds me that if you're a leader, your followers, your stakeholders, the people around you want a calm head, a gentle hand, and a warm heart. I think it's a tall order because we're also, we're humans, right? So you can ask the people on, on my team. I'm not always all three. I aim to be. You mentioned a couple of skills. I started to hear a couple of skills. So you talked about examining. I refer to that as like the skill of curiosity. You mentioned empathy, which I think we're in a national deficit of empathy, if not a global deficit of empathy right now. What other skills would cultivate the work of the inclusive leader at wherever you are? I, I define leadership very, very liberally. We're here at Simmons looking to democratize leadership in so many ways, right? So whether you have a formal position of power, you can still be a leader in your life. Absolutely. The more we specific we can be about skills and actions, the more helpful. 
Absolutely. So you mentioned curiosity. So I just want to underscore that. I think that's huge. And that takes you in so many directions. If we believe that we don't know all and that we don't assume all, then, then we're curious. You know, it leads us to really thinking, what can I learn? What can I learn about this person that I don't know? What can I learn about this place or this culture? It really does have you then open to new ideas, new possibilities. You know, especially as adults and the older we get, sometimes we are really rewarded for what we do know versus our willingness to be open to learning. And I think putting ourselves in that position really just unlocks so many opportunities to grow, to be challenged, um, and to recognize that regardless how old we are, we can continue to learn. Although it does require people to believe that they might not always be right. And I, I used to joke when I was traveling and doing more keynote speaking, I was, would ask crowds, does anybody not like being right? And I never got a hand raise, right? So it's like, we're, we're, we're now asking you to be curious when in fact you might think or be un unaware of your own righteousness, your own self-righteousness. Yeah, I mean, I think it takes courage. Yeah. So I do think there is something about, you know, wanting, if you want to stay in your own sort of little box and just sort of, this is what I know and this is what I believe, I think you won't go very far in this work. Um, if you do really want to grow to be in a more inclusive leader. I mean, that is a choice. And I do believe it's a choice. If you go in this space, it does require being uncomfortable with the fact that you don't know all that you probably think you know. And that, to your point, Susan, I think that's right. You have to realize that there's some things that you're going to have to perhaps let go of. And I know that that's sometimes hard, especially if for 30, 40, you name it, how many years you've held on to things or those things have guided you that you thought were right and you find out that they are not. That's not easy. It's probably one of the biggest barriers. This is a little bit of a leading question, so I'll own it now. Do you think that maybe saying inclusive leadership will be an oxymoron someday, that what it means to lead automatically assumes that you're consciously being inclusive, that you're consciously paying attention to equity, right? So there, that there isn't this like different over here set of skills, but it is what it means to lead effectively. That is where I'm headed. That's what I'm hopeful for. I am one of those people who has a hard time separating them out as if to your point, you can just talk about leadership development and not include the things that we have been talking about. I don't think we're there yet. But I, I'm hopeful, Susan. I'm an optimist that that is where we're going. Me too. Me too. Me too. <laughs> Let's talk about the opposite of optimism, about the fear of all this. So why is creating equity and inclusion threatening or scary to some? And, and what can we do about that? Fear drives a lot of behavior that is unfortunately not becoming of us as humans. And that fear or that concern is, again, a little bit of the loss of maybe what we thought maybe what has positioned us or what has moved us in a place. So imagine you do get to a particular point in your life and suddenly you're asked to re-examine all that you thought that you knew or many things that you thought that you knew that are, that are no longer true. And I, I think it's uncomfortable to be uncomfortable. We prefer not to. I, we're human. I will put myself in that space. Mm -hmm. To do that kind of self-examination that perhaps some of the things that you were able to do or position 
were not just based on your hard work, but that you were advantaged in other ways that you had nothing to do with, but that you benefited from. I think that those things are really unsettling. I also think there's a way in which that some people are fearful that in order for others to perhaps have more opportunity, maybe to win, they have to lose. There's a sense of there's only so much. The pie is only so big. So if I have to give up a little bit, that means for someone to get a lot more, I lose. You know, that there's something that, that's a takeaway. I think that gets in the way for many people because if you look at the world in that way, it's very limiting. And why would you want to give up? <laughs> no one wants to give up right. anything. And again, if you're fearful, why would you want to lean into that fear? It's, it's very, it, it's not a great bumper sticker. What I heard you say is we're really talking about scarcity mindset versus abundance mindset. And I think it's hard to stay in abundance mindset when you see signs of scarcity, right? Yeah. And yet we have to prevail and jump over our own fear of all this. You were talking about your, your niece and I have two very dear friends, both of whom have daughters with special needs. And what I've really appreciated about talking with them is they're teaching me how to speak about it. They're teaching me how to understand it because I might feel like I'm pretty fluent and pretty conscious of the multitude of genders. And Mm -hmm. my one daughter has godmothers and I have sort of a real understanding, but when it comes to disabilities, I'm actually, I don't know what I don't know. And so I feel more vulnerable talking about that. I think it's pretty normal across the board to feel a little more fearful about certain things that we feel like, oh my gosh, I don't want to step on that because what if I'm wrong? We go back to empathy. It takes a lot of empathy (laughs) and it takes a lot of self-forgiveness for not getting it right all the time. I guess just to close, this has been such a great conversation. I don't want to stop talking, but what do you wish to leave people with? Like what actions do you suggest our listeners take to continue their own journey of understanding about inclusion? So Susan, I love what you just said in terms of self-care. I think that's really important. This work does require one to be able to, um, you know, be gentle with oneself. We talk a lot about, you know, no shame, blame, or attack of oneself as we're doing this work. We are going to make a mistake. This is not about perfection. I can tell you if you're looking for that, that is not the DEI work. For those of us in business, this may sound a little unusual, but I've been thinking about this lately. We, we all love our frameworks and our language in the DEI space, but very simply, I think what we need to be thinking about is love. And again, we don't often hear that word in a sort of corporate environment, but I think about it, at the end of the day, why are we here? As humans, we do want to have community. We want to feel connected. We want to belong. We want to be seen. And when I say love, I'm not talking about the mushy-gushy stuff. I'm talking about love as an action, as a commitment to respecting one another, to really caring about one another, whether it's our neighbor or a colleague in our cube next to each other. I really think that a lot of this work is at a very basic level, wanting to create an environment where all of us have those opportunities to be successful and to thrive and to feel good about the work that we create with each other. I really think if we focus on those very basic but yet courageous requirements to action, we will go far. The opposite of fear is love, right? And so if we lead from that place, what could be possible with the humans that we get to work with every day and learn from? 
Don, you are an inspiration. I know you're very busy. Thank you so much for being with us. And I want to listen to our podcast right now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Susan, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for the conversation. I've been lifted too by hearing you and by the things that we talked about today. Thanks, Don. At the core, leading inclusively starts with a desire to understand. So we hope the better understanding podcast sparks something for you that leaves you wanting more. Thank you everybody for joining.